I'm a geologist, but I, I work on the geology of other planets. So currently I'm on two NASA missions going to small bodies in the outer solar system. Any other interesting mysteries about asteroids that you're studying? I, I had heard that some people want to mine, you know, land on and mine certain asteroids. So is there like a, a critical site limit that's necessary for a craft to be able to land on it? Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Daniel Britt. He goes by Dan. Uh, He's the Pegasus Professor of Astronomy and Planetary Sciences, part of the Department of Physics at University of Central Florida. We're going to talk about our planetary orbit interacts with the appearance or disappearance of ice ages on our planet and the history of climate. Dan also consults periodically with NASA on some of their various missions. So we may get into that. We may not. Dan, thanks for coming. Sure. Happy to be here. If you would, tell me a bit about uh, the current work that you're doing. What are some of the projects you're working on? And then, you know, we'll pick one to uh, focus on. Well, I'm a geologist, but I, I work on the geology of other planets. So currently I'm on two NASA missions going to small bodies in the outer solar system. And, you know, what we do is try to analyze the data output of these missions and plan for these encounters and and try to puzzle out what we see in the uh, newly uh, viewed worlds. So what missions are going where? Are they going asteroids or planets or where do you study? Yeah, I'm mostly an asteroid guy. So I'm on the Lucy mission, which is going to the Trojan asteroid swarm, which is co-orbits with Jupiter. And then I'm on the New Horizons mission. They went to Pluto and then on to a small Kuiper Belt object called Arakoth that's way, way out in the solar system, 40 almost 50 astronomical units away, 50 times the, the Earth's distance to the sun. Okay. So I get around. <laughs> what are some of the different kinds of asteroids that are out there? You know, is Oh, com- well, asteroids common- come in, in everything from soggy dirt clods to uh, the pieces of steel. There's is a huge it- variety. Yeah. Huh. So some are like completely metallic almost, and some are made of what, dirt? Dirt, yeah. Soggy dirt clods, yeah. Basically, what you've got is you can get, you know, this planet differentiated. That is, it heated up, the iron dropped into the core, silicate floated to the top, created the the lithosphere that we live on. Well, the same thing happened on asteroids. So if you smash open an asteroid, what you do is you get pieces from the core, the mantle, and the crust. And so there are asteroids that have completely melted. And if you're holding a metallic meteorite in your hand that came from that the core of that asteroid and since you're holding the core in your hand a piece of the core obviously the rest of it is smashed into small pieces um this may be a stupid question but do any do asteroids come from a common source i know not all of them would but is there a majority that come from x or y source that we observe well no the the thing is these are leftovers from the accretion of planets 
So they come from basically the same source the Earth did, that is the, the nebula that used to surround the sun and created the sun and the planets. And these are things that just never accreted into something bigger. There's a bunch of reasons why that didn't happen. But what about impacts, you know, that where um, a piece of a planet, a small piece was, you know, uh, you know, the moon was impacted, let's say, and a piece blew off and went into space? Yeah, that happens all the time. So we get meteorites uh, from the moon. Say again? Is that something different from an asteroid? Is that? No, no. An asteroid is any sort of natural thing that orbits the sun. If it's a meteorite, a meteorite is a piece of an asteroid that happens to be sitting sitting on the ground. So, you you know, you put the same thing in orbit around the sun and you can call it an asteroid. Okay, so a meteorite is an asteroid that's entered Earth's atmosphere and and landed on the planet somewhere. Yeah, just a very small piece. Gotcha. And then are comets considered asteroids or are they a different creature for some reason? Well, there's a continuum of stuff and comets are on one end of that continuum. They're full of they're full of water and frozen other stuff like CO and carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide and dust. So, you know, in a real sense, there, there, there's no real difference between an asteroid and a comet. You know, they're both small bodies. It's just that Comet is a term that comes down to us from from the earliest days of of human communication, as you saw these things. In, the ancients saw these things in the sky. Okay. If you look at, I don't know if you know. I'm sure people have done maybe a survey of all the asteroids out there. Are most of them clods of dirt? Are a lot of them metallic? Like, what's the breakdown of the different types well, of asteroids that are out there? Yeah, we do surveys, but uh, the best way to look at these things is what arrives on Earth in the form of meteorites. And most of them are stony, you know, rocks of one sort or another. And then five or six percent are metallic. And probably a large number of the asteroids are just so weak and so full of ice and volatiles that they never get through the atmosphere. So there are things that are ice rich. There are things that are essentially dirt rich there are things that are rocky and there are things that are metallic what are what are some of the rarest kind of asteroids ever seen or meteorites ever seen well the rarest are ones that come from other planets so we've got meteorites that come from mars Mm. and also meteorites that come from the moon Mm, okay and those are rare those are highly prized but you know the the it's kind of a cheap planetary sample return mission when you get a when you find a meteorite from another planet Okay. Um, are, there, are there ones that uh, you can tell have come from outside our solar system? And if so, how could you tell? Well, there are grains in, um, in these things that are probably what they call presolar. That is, that they were never melted during the accretion and concentration of the, the nebula that the sun evolved out of. Because what happened was that the nebula had heated up and got and vaporized or melted things. And so you can look at the isotopic ratios of some element in these grains. They'll have isotopic ratios that are distinctive from the isotopic ratios you see widespread in the solar system. Mm. But you don't really see whole rocks from other solar systems. You see a few grains. Oh, why? Why is that? Well, the thing is, uh, it's mostly function relative velocity. And so things that are coming from other solar systems are going to have very high velocities relative to the velocities of this solar system in Earth. And so it's very hard for them to survive. Back when you were accreting the sun, it wasn't just a one-off event. You know, the nearest star right now is Alpha Centauri, which is 
about three and change light years away. In that same space, when you were accreting the sun, there were probably two to 5,000 stars. So you had lots of solar nebulas and they were exchanging material all the time. When that, but you know, the material were, you know, the grains of dust, very small grains. Okay. And it's certainly possible that we might have exchanged other, you know, whole chunks of asteroid or comet with some of these other solar systems. It's just hard to find, and it wouldn't be that that abundant. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. All right. I know it's a general question, but how is an asteroid changed by it becoming a meteorite going through our atmosphere, landing, et cetera? Is there, like, what's preserved and what's not preserved about? Well, yeah, what happens is that moving at cosmic speed, so, you know, 20, 30 kilometers a second, it's really cooking. And in order to slow down to terminal velocity, it essentially takes all that energy in motion and converts it to frictional heat as it's going through the atmosphere. And so a lot of this just burns off and vaporizes. Somewhere between 85 and 95% of the mass of a meteorite is lost on atmospheric entry. Oh, wow. So, you know, what you get is what's left over. Rocks typically don't have very good heat conductivity. So you're not going to melt the whole thing. You just melt, you just end up with what's called a fusion crust. That is a millimeter thick or so or layer of glassy stuff where that's the remnants of the stuff that's been melted off during its atmospheric passage. Okay. Um, what, what can you tell again from meteorites that you've studied about, about asteroids that we can't get to, you know, that are way out in well, space? Well, yeah, you know? what you're doing is you're, you're seeing the variety of mineralogy in the asteroid belt. So it's hard to get to asteroids, but the meteorites are, are samples of all of this stuff. It's just like any geologic sample. You, you take a sample, you take it back to the lab, and you learn in detail what's going on in that rock formation. Yeah, why do we have a, an asteroid belt? Why is there an area where they tend to, you know, the Kuiper belt, I guess, and I don't know how many other belts, but why, why do a lot of asteroids accumulate in certain areas in our solar system? Oh, it's, um, it's gravity. Yeah. The, the problem is that Jupiter is very big. Jupiter has like 85% of the mass of all the planets. And so once Jupiter accreted, its gravitational influence made it hard for anything else to, to form in within several astronomical units of, of Jupiter. So it uh, basically disrupted the formation of anything else nearby. Sure. And so the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter is really all the stuff that could have formed into a planet but never did because Jupiter got in the way. So consequently, around the sun, an X number of lengths away from it, whatever, I don't know what, what unit of measurement you'd say, there's probably, is there an asteroid belt there too? 
because well, again, no, anything, is, uh, everything, the, everything inward from the inner planets. The inner planets are too close together to really allow many asteroids to to have stable orbits. So there are asteroids that cross interplanet orbits. It's just that they don't live very long in geologic or astronomical terms. They whack into stuff. The sun is what, like 99% of the mass of our solar system. Oh, yeah. And then that's kind of funny how it is, like the 80-20 rule, you know, and then Jupiter, like you said, is 85% of the mass of all the planets. Yeah. So there's interesting hierarchies here. Oh, um, yeah. And that strongly affects how things work. Hmm. Okay. Um, so what are you studying about the, uh, you know, the asteroids you're looking at or the meteorites you're looking at? What are you trying to ascertain? Well, I'm, uh, the idea is to understand how they, what their mineralogies are, how they evolve, how they can be of use to us in future exploration, how you can avoid having them whack into the earth and eliminate all civilized life, things like that. What is the tendency of, I mean, so asteroids that become meteorites, is there anything that's, again, they share in common? Why do certain ones, you know, besides well, size, they either burn up or they don't? Is there anything else that uh, would make it more likely that an asteroid would uh, enter the Earth's atmosphere? Well, it's just kind of a random walk through through orbits, and so meteorites and asteroids, small asteroids hit the small asteroids hit the Earth all the time. Small stuff is a lot more common than big stuff. So, and what happens is these things are moving so fast, they're so energetic that quite often they explode in the upper atmosphere. Essentially. Oh, wow. You know, their kinetic energy flashes to thermal energy, and you do that fast, it's called an explosion. Oh, okay. So they become so, like superheated very quickly and they blow apart? Yeah, something like that. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, you know, you get um, kiloton sized flashes in the upper atmosphere every month or two. Huh. There are people that care about explosions in the atmosphere, and so they collect that kind of data. So um, the um, if you look at speeds or velocities, what's the difference between smaller asteroids and larger ones? Is the velocity the same or? Yeah, it's, the velocity is going to be exactly the same. It's, it's just governed by celestial dynamics. Are there classes, though, of asteroids that are a lot faster than others or slower? Well, typically comets have are faster because they tend to have eccentric orbits. So they're they're moving from orbital zones that are farther out in the solar system. And that makes them faster in the inner solar system. Do uh, do asteroids pick up speed? Do they go near enough to certain planets to like use gravity? Oh, sure. yeah, or, yeah, you know, the the uh, uh, Earth's gravity will accelerate something that gets close to it, for instance. Okay. So the Earth-Moon system will add extra kilometers per second of velocity as you get as you get pulled into the earth's gravity well or like like you mentioned jupiter is inc incredibly massive so yeah are there asteroids that go somewhat close to jupiter that get accelerated a lot more by its mass than others oh yeah it's again this is just a, a newtonian dynamics question you know people calculate these orbits all the time Okay. So again, what questions are, uh, are are you trying to answer in regards to uh, asteroids that you know you feel are uh, are very interesting to look at? Well, how they're put together, so their basic structure. One thing we found that most small asteroids are just piles of shattered rubble. So you can imagine it's just kind of a, a sandbar in space, and because they've been they've been hit by other asteroids and shattered and reassembled by self gravity, 
And so basically all the small asteroids that we've visited so far are, are piles of rubble. And that kind of structure is interesting. We weren't really oh, sure that was the way it worked, but now they, we're, like now we're getting size? pretty sure. Say again? Oh, I'm sorry. Do they have a grain size? You know, various asteroids because they've been blown up and reassembled and blown up and reassembled? Well, that's something we're looking into, but it's typically a, a range of like boulders, cobbles, pebbles, sand-sized stuff, dust-sized stuff. There's a hierarchy there. Yeah. And it's typically the result, percussive impact. So you get, you actually get more or less the same kind of size relationship that you do if you just hit something with a sledgehammer. Oh, but again, the gravity is pulling them back. To, you know, I mean, they're reassembling. Right. So does it look like as they break, reassemble, break, reassemble, like how many cycles do they go through that? And what interesting features does it create, if any? Well, it creates all sorts of strange features. These things tend to have, the really rubbly stuff tend to have equatorial bulges if they rotate fast enough, okay. for instance. You know, and that's just, it's acting kind of like a, a rotating water droplet in that in that case. All right. Yeah, I had heard... Um... There was an asteroid, Oumuamua, that supposedly came from outside our solar system. Yep. Uh, did you study that at all, or is there anything interesting about that one? Well, there's lots interesting. It came from came from outside of the solar system, so that was the first one. It's been another one since then. We're just getting better at picking them up and tracking, which is why we're seeing them now. People that do theoretical analysis of this sort of stuff figures you should see, with any luck, you should see, you know, one or two every year. It just depends oh, really? on how thoroughly you look for these things. Yeah. And Moamoa, in the way you tell, is that it's got an orbital pattern that is not bound to the sun. So it's going to go wishing through the solar system and out the other side. Hmm. Okay. Any other interesting mysteries about asteroids that you're studying? I, I had heard that some people want to mine, you know, land on and mine certain asteroids. So is there like a a critical site limit that's necessary for a craft to be able to land on it, not just gravity wise, but you know, well, and and move around wise. And, and yeah, well, the the issue is that the asteroids that you want to use for mining are going to be small ones, because typically what you want to mine are the volatiles that are locked in the crystal structures of the uh, of the uh, the minerals and. The ideal asteroid for that would be about, you know, five or 10 meters in diameter. So fairly small. Oh, really? But the idea is you put a, essentially a waterproof bag around them and use solar energy to essentially cook out the, uh, the volatiles out of the minerals. Oh, wow. And, you know, that way you get about 10% of the mass of the asteroid out in, uh, in water. Okay. Which is, you know, very valuable for, you know, outside uh, outside the Earth's uh, outside the Earth's atmosphere. Very valuable in orbit. It can be used for fuel. It can be used for life support. It can be used for shielding. But how would you, you know, roll up alongside one and stay with it and be able to put like this shielding around it and cook stuff off and harvest it? And it seems like a, you know, a very very complicated type thing to do. I guess sand well, asteroids tumble and. You well, know, they'll yeah they'll tumble, but whole thing is that you can just match their tumbling you know it's just position keeping and and orbital dynamics so that's fairly it's not trivial but it it's not that hard of a problem okay so it is possible i mean what about the uh maybe this is just fanciful but is there any need to land on certain asteroids or is it even possible and 
you know, to mine them, or is that like oh, a whole yeah. ball game of what you're talking about? Well, it's certainly it's easily possible to land on these things, and you know, mining it is not that much of a problem. People are developing technologies for these things. With really small asteroids, they have such a tiny gravitational field that you're mostly formation flying with them rather than landing. Okay. I mean, so have people mined asteroids or is it, there's still not enough technology developed yet? Or, you know, well, where people, are we at with that? The, well, people that? are developing that kind of technology. Haven't, <clears throat> haven't done it yet, but, you know, people are working on it. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, what, what do you hope to see in regards to asteroids in the next, you know, five to 10 years? Like, are you a, a big proponent of the mining or are there other things that you think are more important to discover about them? Well, there are always things that, that are important to discover, especially in how they're put together and, and uh, uh, how they actually work in detail. But I think that in the next five or 10 years, you're going to find companies, private companies that would be interested in harvesting small asteroids for, for their volatile and uh, selling that to other companies in Earth orbit. Yeah, what are what are some of the um, I don't know the most beneficial or useful type uh, minerals or compounds that come from asteroids? Well, the metallic asteroids, of course, are ninety five or ninety eight percent iron and nickel, so you can get metal from those guys. Ones I'm most interested in are the volatile rich asteroids, which they have essentially clays. They're made out of clays that have hydrated compounds built into their crystal structure. And so you can suck out 10 or 15 weight percent water out of, out of these guys. Okay. And the water is the most useful thing or? or well, I, I think it's probably going to be the most useful thing in, in the near future because it can be used for a lot of different applications, fuel, life support, things like that. So an asteroid that's uh, just the right size to be able to be, you know, uh, position tracked and bagged and, you know, water sucked out, how much of a payload would you get on average? Oh, you'd probably be getting something like hundreds of tons. Oh, okay. So it's very significant. And you wouldn't have to launch it from the surface of the earth. Right. So that, yeah, that, that would, yeah, I the mean, whole, the whole would point that power of this is that, for a long time or what would that do? Well, yeah, there are people developing thrusters that directly use water as fuel. Mm. And, um, multiple tons of fuel are very attractive in earth orbit yeah yeah because otherwise sense. you have to fire them up with a rocket at you know two or three thousand dollars a kilo yeah i would think you know against the vacuum of space any surface water would be gone instantly so i guess any any water would be trapped inside and well, so you'd have to bag it and crack it open otherwise it would all dissipate instantly right well yeah any surface water but remember that this 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 is this is water that's locked in the crystal structure of the minerals. Oh, okay. And so you have to break the minerals apart. It's not that hard, and there's proven ways of doing it. It's just you have to do it, and that's why you bag the asteroid to begin with, is you don't want that those volatiles floating off into space. Right, makes sense, yeah. Anything special happen when water is exposed to the vacuum of space? I mean, I guess it freezes instantly and... Well, it, 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 it volatilizes very fat. It doesn't freeze so much as it goes into vapor. Okay. Is there any appreciable amounts of water vapor floating around in uh, in our solar system or not really? No, not really. Well, there's basically the the solar wind is full of things like hydrogen and other other uh, atoms, but that's very few. So there's not really an appreciable amount of stuff in any 
one chunk of uh, har uh, there's not a harvestable amount of of anything there. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good, Dan. Um, wh where can people go to find out more about your work? Well, I uh, make simulants for planetary surfaces, so you you can look me up at the University of Central Florida, or can look up the Exolith Lab, and that has a website, Exolith, E-X-O-L-I-T-H-S, exolithsimulants.com. So E-X-O-L-I-T-H, simulants.com, and you can see some of the stuff we uh, make for the science and engineering community. Okay, very good. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming. Uh, you know, coming on the podcast. I really appreciate okay. it. We didn't have much of a chance to talk about climate change, though. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.